I want to host a podcast. Everybody, welcome Hello. to Threepcast, yes, episode one, the pilot the episode. episode, first mm-hmm. episode. This is our very first podcast, so 
Woo we us. basically have no idea what we're doing, so please bear with us through this first episode. Ah, it'll be fun though. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So before we get to what this podcast is going to be about, uh, we should probably introduce ourselves mm-hmm. for those of you who have no idea who we are. So, yes. Phil, do you want to go first? Sure. I am Phil Ridgeway. I am a sophomore now. Gosh, in college. Uh, studying biochemistry and I remember playing adventure games growing up being like wow these games are awesome and like it was it was a lot of fun you know anyway so yeah we just decided to do this little podcast because hey it'd be a fun thing to do over the summer and no idea what's going to happen when school starts so <laughs> yeah this podcast might come to an abrupt halt once you go back to school <laughs> uh, it, we'll, we'll make it work we'll make it work yeah so um, I'm Elliot Ridgeway um for those of you who are watching off of Ridgeway Films, you probably know who Phil and I are already, but if you're <laughs> yeah. getting this off of iTunes or something, you have no idea who we are. Um, I live in Kansas City, and I work as a software engineer for Cerner, and um, I also do movies for Ridgeway Films, and probably our best-known series on Ridgeway Films is Earthbound, and on the topic of Earthbound, if you are sitting there wondering why we are recording this podcast instead of just working on Earthbound. And if you pester us with questions like that, we will not respond to those questions. So, um, <laughs> people just love Earthbound. Yeah, yeah, I, they do. Um, yeah, as far as adventure games go, I think I played my first adventure game when I was 11. It was Day of the Tentacle. And I just kind of fell in love with the genre after that and I'm not to the point where now I've got a bookshelf full of adventure games mm-hmm. and that's about it I think as far as yeah. relevance towards this podcast mm-hmm. um, so let's talk about what this podcast is going to be about okay. um, we've discussed uh, we've mentioned uh, the term adventure games a couple of times already but if you're just coming to this podcast totally out of the blue, you probably have no idea what an adventure game is. Or maybe you do, and this part of the podcast will be totally irrelevant for you. But uh-huh. just for the sake of completion, I will go through a quick definition of what an adventure game is. Um, I was going to... I've got some notes here on uh, facets of adventure games, but I found the Wikipedia article on adventure games, and that's a lot more thorough and interesting than what I've got, oh, so I'm is. just going to read off the Wikipedia article. <laughs> so, here we go. An adventure game is a video game in which the player assumes the role of a protagonist in an interactive story driven by exploration and puzzle solving. The genre's focus on story allows it to draw heavily from other narrative-based media such as literature and film, encompassing a wide variety of literary genres. Nearly all adventure games, text and graphic, are designed for a single player, since this emphasis on story and character makes multiplayer design difficult. In the Western world, the genre's popularity peaked during the late 1980s to mid-1990s, when many considered it to be among the most technically advanced genres, but now it is considered something of a niche genre. Um, uh, Adventure games contain a variety of puzzles, such as decoding messages, finding and using items, opening locked doors, or finding and exploring new locations. Solving a puzzle will unlock access to new areas in the game world and reveal more of the game's story. Logic puzzles where mechanical devices are designed with abstract interfaces to test a player's deductive reasoning skills are common. 
some puzzles are criticized for the obscurity of their solutions. For example, a combination of clothesline clamp and deflated rubber duck used to gather an item in the longest journey. Well, I guess now we've spoiled that for ourselves if we ever review that game. What is that game? Longest Journey? Longest oh. Journey, yeah. I've heard of it. Hmm. I've never played it. Right. Um, games that require players to navigate mazes have become less popular. Other games have been criticized for requiring players to blindly guess at solutions to puzzles, either by clicking on the right pixel on the screen or by guessing the right verb in games that use a text interface. Um, so yeah, adventure games kind of have varying success with how they implement their puzzles. Some of them are pretty good about having logical solutions to problems. Other ones, it gets kind of out there and it gets kind of ridiculous, like which items you have to combine with which in order to get past a certain puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's a pretty comprehensive definition. Phil, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, thank you, Wikipedia. Um, I would like to say, though, I'm not quite sure um, how relevant this is, but I have noticed that we've gone from uh, an era where there are just so many adventure games, so many amazing games, to I think the only people... Uh, doing them now are Double Fine and Telltale. Like, it's just kind of sad how few adventure games, classic adventure games, we're getting. Well, yeah, I mean, it has kind of gone through a slump in recent years. Like the article said, the peak was sort of in the 1990s, mm-hmm. and then in the 2000s it kind of experienced a slump where not as many people were making adventure games. But I feel yeah. like it's kind of gotten back up on its feet, even though adventure games look a little different today. If mm. You'll find that most of the games from the 90s kind of all imitate each other to the point where they all kind of have the same look and feel, where you've yes. got your, your verb choices for what actions you want the player to take on the bottom of the screen. You've got your inventory. Whereas I think adventure games now sort of place more of an emphasis on story oh, yeah, and definitely. character development, whereas before the emphasis was more on creating really uh, dense puzzles that you had to solve. Yeah, I think that's kind of script of the times. Everyone wants games. I've noticed games have turned more into really pretty cutscenes than you do a couple of stuff in between cutscenes. Like, right. it's turned less from puzzle solving to just storytelling. I think that, I don't know. that might also yeah. have to do with the fact that the technology today has gotten to the point where it's a lot more possible for games to be more cinematic. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely that's why, but just I don't know if I like it better or I don't know. Yeah. nostalgia for the old days. <laughs> right. Yeah, always fighting nostalgia. So, mm-hmm. But yeah, adventure games encompass a pretty wide... Even though the article says that it's a niche genre, it actually encompasses a pretty wide... I mean, what adventure game fans consider to be adventure games can go pretty wide. So, mm-hmm. for instance, Myst is considered an adventure game. Phoenix Wright's considered an adventure game. Um, Please tell me we're getting around to Ace Attorney one of these Oh, days. yeah, yeah. We're going to do one on Phoenix Wright. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty wide... Uh, spectrum of games that can be considered adventure games and um, hopefully we'll get around to some of the more recent popular ones for right now though we're going to probably focus in on some of the classics from the 90s and LucasArts golden days LucasArts golden days thank you that was a nice segue I was just getting ready to talk about (laughs) LucasArts so most adventure game fans consider LucasArts to have made the best adventure games during the heyday of adventure games in the early 90s um, it was really down to two companies. You had LucasArts on one hand, and then you had Sierra on the other hand, and they were kind of the two forerunners of the genre back when everybody was making adventure games. But I mm-hmm. think LucasArts is pretty m- much commonly considered 
the uh, the king of adventure game making during mm. the golden era. So for the first part of this podcast, or for the first couple episodes rather, we're probably just going to focus on LucasArts games and sort of talk about history of them, our memories of playing them, whether or not they still hold up today and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, without further ado, uh, we are going to jump right into the uh, game for this episode, uh, The Secret of Monkey Island. Ta-da. And this is pretty much <laughs> this is pretty much uh, the uh, well. I'll just jump right into uh, the article. Sounds good. <laughs> just start with that. Okay, so the secret of Monkey Island. <clears throat> Let me take a drink before I start. This is a lot of text. Take a drink before you start, mate. Okay, the secret of Monkey Island is a 1990 point-and-click graphic adventure game. Oh, do we want to discuss what point-and-click is? Um. Well, I mean, point I'm assuming, click, I'm assuming that there might be people listening to this that are coming totally out of the blue and have no okay, idea okay. what adventure Basically, game is. Okay, okay. Basically, adventure games came in two flavors, kind of. You had text-based <laughs> where you entered the commands, like, open door, you right. had to type it all you in. You had to type it out. Whereas point and click was, in the bottom of the screen, you would be given a bank of, like, look at, use, pick up, push, pull, all the different commands. And you clicked the command that you wanted to use, and then you click whatever, ob- or what you wanted to interact with. Right. So, like, I don't know. Point click, I felt, was a more... It's a more streamlined interface, for sure. Definitely streamlined. That's, yeah, that's all I have to say on so that. So basically, basically, earlier games, there was a text parser at the bottom where you had to type in what you wanted the character to do, and it was... Yet, there was a lot of guesswork involved with trying to figure out what were the right verbs and objects mm-hmm. to use. And then, sort of later on, LucasArts kind of pioneered the idea that we can just give you the most common verbs and put them at the bottom of the screen so you're not guessing all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, with that kind of setup, then you are more inclined to use the mouse to click on the verbs and click on stuff on the screen rather than type a bunch of stuff in. Hence, that's where the term point and click comes from because you're pointing and clicking yep. with the mouse. Anyway, uh, back to the article. Uh, Secret of Monkey Island is a 1990 point-and-click graphic adventure game developed and published by Lucasfilm Games before they became known as LucasArts. It takes place in a fantastic version of the Caribbean during the Age of Piracy. The player assumes the role of Guybrush Threepwood, a young man who dreams of becoming a pirate and explores fictional islands while solving puzzles. The game was conceived in 1988 by Lucasfilm employee Ron Gilbert, who designed it with Tim Schafer and Dave Grossman. Gilbert's frustrations with contemporary adventure titles led him to make the, player's, the player character's death impossible, which meant the gameplay focused on exploration. The atmosphere was based on that of the Pirates of the Caribbean theme park ride. The Secret of Monkey Island was the fifth game built with the Scum engine, which was LucasArts' uh, engine for building adventure games which was heavily modified to include a more user-friendly interface. Critics praised The Secret of Monkey Island for its humor, audiovisuals, and gameplay. Um, um, the Secret of Monkey Island is a 2D... Yeah, we already sort of talked about how you play it. Um, do we want to talk about the plot in case people have never played Monkey Island? Uh, sure. So basically... Well, I, I, there's, are... a, there's a plot section on the article. That's what I was asking. Well, come on. Let's go off article. I mean, we know okay. the plot. That's true. So basically, in Monkey Island, you play this this guy named Guybrush Threepwood who wants to be a pirate, and you yes. show up on an island one day and you have this mission that you want to be a pirate. So you have to go talk to the pirate leaders, and they give you three tasks that you have to do to prove yourself worthy of being a pirate. Mm-hmm. And then along the way, you fall in love with the beautiful Elaine Marley, governess of the island, who then gets kidnapped by the ghost pirate LeChuck. 
and yes, you have to go rescue her. But like, I didn't realize until we played. We're gonna talk about this later, but uh, I, yeah, I didn't realize until I played through. This game is one giant fetch quest, like <laughs> from start to finish. It's just go here, grab something, well, come back. We we can get more into that. Yeah, as we get further yeah. in. Um, yeah, the plot's relatively simple as far as games go. Just become a pirate. That's right. That's it. So, uh, Ron Gilbert conceived the idea of a pirate adventure game in 1988 after completing Zack McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders. He first wrote story ideas about pirates while spending the weekend at a friend's house. Gilbert experimented with introductory paragraphs to find a satisfactory idea. His initial story featured unnamed villains that would eventually become LeChuck and Elaine. Guybrush was absent at this point. He pitched it to Lucasfilm game staff as a series of short stories. Gilbert's idea was warmly received, but production was postponed because Lucasfilm Games assigned its designers, including Gilbert, to work on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the graphic adventure. Development of The Last Crusade was finished in 1989, corresponding with the release of the movie, which allowed Gilbert to begin production on The Secret of Monkey Island, then known internally under the working title Mutiny on Monkey Island. Um, Mutiny on Monkey Island, that's That really was their working hmm. title, yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean ride from Disneyland is a clear influence on this game and its universe, but Ron Gilbert also cites Tim Powers' novel On Stranger Tides as at least as heavy an inspiration since the book also features a heavy use of voodoo elements. Hmm. Uh, Gilbert soon realized that it would be difficult to design the game by himself. He decided to join forces with Tim Schafer and Dave Grossman, both of whom he hired for Lucasfilm. The game's insult sword fighting mechanics were in, uh, influenced by swashbuckling... <clears throat> The game's insult sword fighting mechanics were influenced by swashbuckling movies starring Errol Flynn, which Gilbert Schaefer and Grossman often watched for inspiration. They noticed that pirates in those films often taunted their opponents instead of attacking them, which gave the designers the idea to base the game's duels on insults rather than combat. Uh, <laughs> writer Orson Scott Card helped them write the insults during a visit to Lucasfilm's headquarters at Skywalker Ranch. Many of Gilbert's original gameplay ideas were abandoned during the production process, although he stated that most of this stuff was left out for a reason. Um, let's see. Yeah, that's pretty detailed. Uh, this game was the first major project for Tim Schafer and Dave Grossman, who at the time were a part of uh, a group of junior programmers at Lucasfilm called Scumlets, described by Schaefer as, quote, the lowest rung on the programming totem pole, unquote. As the game had already had some artwork completed before production ramped up, the Scumlets' first task was to get the game up and running to a preliminary degree. While doing this, they began to write humorous placeholder dialogue for the characters to amuse each other. Initially, the game was meant to have a serious tone, and the Scumlets never thought they were doing anything more than fooling around. But when Ron saw the dialogue, he insisted that it would become part of the actual game. Um, Guybrush's name came from the software they used to create the character sprites, uh, which was called D-Paint, apparently. And the images in D-Paint were saved as .brush files. And because they didn't have a name for the main character yet, they just called him Guy. So when you read it on this, the, when you read the file name for his character sprites, it read as Guy.Brush. And that's sort of where they got the idea for the name Guybrush. Did they say anything about Threepwood? Because yes, I've actually, always been I curious. I was just about to get to that. Threepwood was the result of a company vote, and apparently was Dave Grossman's preferred handle when creating RPG characters. Huh. Um, I never heard so that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's see. Creative and technical design. Gilbert Schaefer and Grossman's primary goal was to create a simpler and more accessible gameplay model than those presented in previous Lucasfilm titles. Uh, he was frustrated by the adventure games that Sierra Online was releasing at the time, and later said that you died any time you did anything wrong. Gilbert considered such gameplay as a cheap way out for the designer. 
Um, Gilbert aimed to avoid such errors in The Secret of Monkey Island. The team decided to make it impossible for the player character to die, which focused gameplay primary, primarily on world exploration. Mm -hmm. um, the game's pirate reggae music was composed by Lucasfilm Games in-house musician Michael Land in MIDI format. It was his first project at the company. Uh, the game was originally released on floppy disk in 1990. A CD-ROM version with high-quality CD soundtrack followed in 1992. Um, reception. The Secret of Monkey Island received positive reviews from critics. Uh, Hartley, Patricia, and Kirk Lesser of Dragon praised the designer's attention to detail and cited the game's humor as a high point. Although they believed that the game was too expensive, they summarized it as a highly enjoyable graphic adventure replete with interesting puzzles, a fantastic Roland soundtrack, superb VGA graphics, smooth scrolling animation, and some of the funniest lines ever seen on your computer screen. Uh, the Secret of Monkey Island is featured regularly in lists of top games, such as Computer Gaming World's Hall of Fame and IGN's Video Game Hall of Fame. In 1996, Computer Gaming World ranked it as the 19th best game of all time, writing, Who could ever forget the... F bleh. Who could ever forget the insult-driven duel system or the identity of the mysterious Swordmaster? In 2004, readers of RetroGamer voted it as the 33rd top retro game. In 2010, IGN ranked the Xbox Live Arcade version as the 20th best title of all time for that platform. In 2009, IGN named The Secret of Monkey Island one of the 10 best LucasArts adventure games. So... Well, there you have it. There you have it. Um, if IGN says so, I mean, come on. I have some I have some notes about uh, the canceled Monkey Island movie. If you think that'd be interesting, uh, let's let's wait until like Monkey Island Two or Curse to get. Okay, there. all right. I'll say I'll save that then. Yeah, I, think, I feel like we need. I to feel get, like we need to get rolling on this. Yeah, we've kind of given everyone an earful. <laughs> um, okay. Might want to condense it down next episode. Wow, Phil. Gosh. Yeah. Shots you, fired. Yeah. Got to be all critical on the first podcast. If you feel like I've talked too much, please leave us some feedback at podcast yeah. at ridgewayfilms.com. Let, let's make that this the game for this week. Like, can we have a game that we have listeners do, like, submit answers for? Okay, give me an example. Okay, like, like say, we make the game, uh, what is your favorite insult from the sword fighting? And then listeners would, like, send in, oh, my favorite one was uh, Carlo, and she says... Uh, I hope you have an escape boat ready, and then you have to be like, why did you want to borrow one? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, just something for the listeners to send in. Maybe it would be better if we tell them what the next game we're going to do is and have the game be relevant to what th what the Instead next episode is. Instead of constantly going back to what we talked about on the last episode. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be good. Okay, just an idea. So um, something else I wanted to do with this podcast, since a lot of these adventure games are kind of old and out of print, I thought it would be mm -hmm. good to have a little short... I promise we'll get going pretty soon, Phil. <laughs> have a little short uh, discussion about how you can get the game today. Uh, if you want to play the original 1990 version of Monkey Island, there are still copies floating around on eBay. I went mm -hmm. and looked before recording this, and it it kind of ranges depending on whether you're trying Quality. to collect... Well, whether you're trying to collect the box or if you just want to get the discs. It sort of mm -hmm. ranges from $20 if you just want to get the game to around $100 if you want to get the game with all of its original packaging. However, uh, LucasArts recently released a special edition of the game with updated high-definition graphics and voices and everything. And you, that is uh, available pretty much everywhere now. You can get it on Steam. I think you can still get it on Xbox Live Arcade. Um, and if you're very adamant about playing the original 
pixely version and the, that the special edition will let you switch back back and forth mm -hmm. between the original and the high definition version but i mean come on why would you want to turn off dominic armada's voice he's just that is uh, that is true that is true we, we he's can, a beautiful man we can't really we're, we're just going to focus on the original version which didn't have any voices so we can't really talk about dominic armado in this episode yeah curse monkey on is going to be the best podcast ever Let's stay focused on this one, though. Yeah, yeah, secret. Okay. Um, okay, I think that's pretty much all we need to talk about. Yeah. So, Monkey Island. Um, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Uh, so, obviously, I think that for anyone who has fond memories of this game, it's Monkey Island One sort of represents a uh, a key piece of key, key piece of their childhood. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, I've got I've got some kind of specific memories about playing this game when we first found it, um, but I, I don't know, Phil. Do you want to sort of start off talking about memories you have from playing this game for the first time? Yeah. Um, well, I remember that we didn't start with Secret Monkey Island. I remember our first Monkey Island I actually played was uh, Curse Monkey Island. Right. That was the first one we got. That was my first introduction to this world of Monkey Island. And when I got to the sword fighting in this game, I almost... I, I don't think I liked it as much, because Curse of Monkey Island, sword fighting, everything rhymed, and I really liked that. That mm. was, you know, clever and fun. Right. But, yeah, I don't know. This one seemed a lot more... <sighs> like, coming back to it, we, I played through it this past week to, you know, refresh myself for this podcast. Right. It seems a lot more... I don't know, it just has an older sort of okay I call it the original game feel where like the original game of a series can do some stuff that later in the series would be considered really weird mm, right like, okay my example for this is in Pokemon Red and Blue if you go to the uh, Cinnabar Mansion and look at one of the journals it says <laughs> uh, Mew gives birth to Mew too, and that is just like really weird if you considered what Pokemon has become today right so, like, I don't know. Secret of Monkey Island, I felt like... It was Monkey Island, definitely, but it had some really weird aspects that none of the other Monkey Islands had for me. Like, it just seemed really kind of... I think I kind of know what you're talking about. This game kind of feels like it's got one foot in the old way of doing adventure games, like in the 80s, with, like, Sierra, mm -hmm. with like not necessarily in the terms of design, but just sort of in the feel of older computer games and then it's got one foot in the modern way that every adventure game after Monkey Island did things. Mm -hmm. So it's like you have long sections where there's no music and you're just kind of wandering around and talking to people. So it kind of has that that quality of an older computer game. I don't know, this might just be a specific memory that I have, but I I associate old computer games with no music and no and just little occasional bleeps and bloops as you're kind of going around exploring and talking to people. And oh yeah, I mean like I was kind of taken aback. I had totally forgotten, like, you know, I always, one of my fondest things for Monkey Island is the music. I really like all the Oh, different. yeah, music is fantastic. Yeah, but, I mean, I was kind of taken aback how much silence there was in this game. Like, mm -hmm. I, I did not remember that. So. Right. So that kind of gives it an older feel. And also, mm -hmm. um, sort of in the puzzle design, too, like... I mean, I think that this game was revolutionary for the time as far as puzzle design goes because, you know, they were specifically trying to avoid the way things had always been done in the 80s and sort of come up with a new way of telling a story by not constantly killing the player off or punishing you for doing the wrong thing. But mm -hmm. even still, some of the puzzles do still kind of feel 
sort of like the old way of doing things to where you're you're trying to trip the player up and like make them miserable <laughs> because the solution was kind of out there. And yeah. I feel by and large the puzzles are all pretty logical. Some of them, well, okay, like. I'm sorry if you haven't played the game, but uh, this is the one that always kind of bugged me is I thought that this was kind of really unfair and difficult. Towards the end, um, you uh, there are these cannibals on Monkey Island that have this uh, decapitated head of a navigator. And you and the idea is that this this head has been possessed with some kind of voodoo so that... Yeah, the, ca- the, the head of the navigator had like an... I think it was... They, they said an impeccable he has an innate sense of navigator. Right, an innate sense, sense of, of direction. So they severed his head and kept it alive using voodoo magic. Right, so the idea is you need to get this head away from the navigators. And basically they don't... away from the cannibals. They don't want to give it up, so you got to find something to trade with them. And there's... <sighs> in your inventory, there's this leaflet that was given to you way back in the first part of the game by Stan, the used boat salesman. And it, the, the title of the leaflet is How to Get Ahead in Navigating. Now, so this so this puzzle is... First of all, based on a pun. Second of all, it it assumes that you read the name of the leaflet, and third thirdly, it assumes that you will make that you will remember that you have it in your inventory because the version I played the uh, they don't give you pictures for the inventory; it's just text on the screen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and you have to scroll all the way back up to find the leaflet in your your pile of stuff. So yeah. it, it seems like it would be really easy to be stuck at that point for a really long time before you remembered. <laughs> oh, I have this leaflet. That just so happens to have a title, How to Get Ahead in Navigating. And that, mm-hmm. that just seemed like a really far leap to make for the player to figure that out. Yeah, I think I spent about 10 minutes sitting there, scratching my head, trying to figure out. Because most of these puzzles, I could, th- like you said, they're logical and, you know, they're fun and they make sense. And most of them I remembered. But yeah, there were, a few, there were a few fun moments. Most of these LucasArts games I've played so many times that I know them all by memory. There were a mm-hmm. few fun moments though when I was when I picked this up. I haven't played this game in like five years. I, I started it up again, and there were a few moments where I was like, I don't remember what to do next. Uh, this is kind of a good feeling, and I just explored for a while before I remembered. Oh yeah, I gotta go do X with Y. Uh-huh. Uh I just want to say, using a magnetic compass to grab the key was <laughs> the stupidest thing. That made me so mad. No, that actually that was actually another part where I got stuck. I could, I didn't remember that you had to go get the key out of Lechuk's <sighs> out of Lechuk's room. Mhm. And oh yeah. I mean it's a really solid adventure game, but just some of the puzzles again are just kind of what? <laughs> you know. Well, I think that's I think that that's a common uh theme that's going to be going throughout this podcast is sometimes adventure game puzzles are not the most logical. I think it on the spectrum of things, though, I think Monkey Island is probably one of the more logical adventure games. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's logical, and, you know, it keeps you in- interested because of the characters, or just the dialogue is so humorous that you just want to you look at everything and exactly. try to pick up everything. Just, it's really immersive. Right. I think the main area that this game succeeds, and it still holds up really well today is in the attention to detail and the amount of little throwaway jokes that de- that the designers put in there mm. it's just astounding how much how many how many little like great jokes you could just completely miss if you were just running through the game and you know just do the exact steps that you need to finish it oh yeah i mean, I mean. Th- there, it just it, it's like you said it encourages you to click on stuff and try stuff and 
Because everything you do, you get get such a funny response. And this also goes back again to the original game sort of thing, and also, I don't know, it was really kind of heartbreaking in a way that so many dialogue options were so tempting, but you can only choose <laughs> one of them, and you couldn't go back to the dialogue tree. Like, well, I I, I saved it at a couple of points so that I could try all the dialogue <laughs> options. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's a game you come back to again and again just to see, just to try right. to find all the funny stuff. It's it's really, yeah, I love I love that. One of the things I like about the uh, the dialogue options in this game is that you kind of define who Guybrush is. It's kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of like and I know Phil, you haven't played The Walking Dead, but some of the some of the dialogue options kind of reminded me of The Walking Dead because there were points where you had like four options of different things you could say, and they kind of had a spectrum of. Well, you can say there's really nice, polite answer. You can say there's really rude, nasty answer. And you kind of, like, could sort of, like, as much as was possible for th- for what the story was, you could kind of define Guybrush's character by how you respond to people. Uh-huh. But, like, I, just, th- I don't know. Th- I Like, back when we used to play the game, like, when we first found it, I used to always pick the really sarcastic, nasty answers for Guybrush to say to other people. But this mm. time I, I got more of a kick out of choosing the really, like, nice, naive Oh my god! He's just super polite to everybody. Yes, those are the best. Where he's like, like "You must have me mistaken for someone else. I am not a dairy farmer." <laughs> or I am not a dairy farmer. Yes, so many awesome lines. Where, uh... oh no, okay, my favorite, I think, and I think I told you about this earlier before mm-hmm. the podcast started. But uh, when you're talking to Meat Hook, oh yeah, he's like, uh, "What's your name?" And uh, one of your options was like, "I'm Guybrush Threepwood." Uh, let's see, was it Bowling Ball Head? Something, it was Cannonball Head. Cannonball Head. Cannonball Head. Who are you? And then he's like, "I'm Meat Hook," and I don't like your tone. And then, or like, he says, "I think you've got an I attitude think you have an attitude problem." problem. And then Guybrush, one of your options is, "Well, I think you have a hair problem." And I was so tempted to pick that, but the other option was. I didn't mean to call you a cannonball head. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like so many. I actually, like, I ah. took that one step further. I, I said, I think you have a hair problem. And then he said, wow, you really don't know when to quit, do you? And then at that point, <laughs> you have the option of either saying, obviously neither did your barber. Because this guy, this character, <laughs> Meat Hook, is bald. So basically, the idea the, the idea in the game is that you burst into his house like you're, you're wont to do in, in video games. You just burst into his house unannounced. And you can, he's like, he's like, who are you? And then you just stand there and start insulting him about his <laughs> hair problem. So, but then anyway, so at this point you can either say, obviously neither did your barber when, you know, in response to Meat Hook saying, you uh-huh. just don't know when to quit, do you? But right. I chose the option, I'm sorry, I was just trying to be funny. <laughs> so, oh my goodness, just, Guybrush he, is so adorable in I this know. game. And that's, that's the other thing, like, as much of a farce as this game is to where everything is a joke and it just kind of got that Monty Python and the Holy Grail quality where you're just going from thing to thing just for the sake of a joke. One of the mm-hmm. things I liked about this was how there is actually a kind of a, a tender love story to it because the, the scenes with Guybrush and Elaine are actually kind of cute and heartwarming. Mm. And so, and like, yes. yeah, there were there were jokes in there, but, I mean, it, it's kind of like, oh, this is, this is kind of a, a nice little sub story in there mm-hmm. yeah and one of the things I wanted to talk about the whole Elaine Guybrush love story that like I feel like that was thrown in there just you know as a funny thing to like you know have 
you know, romance on the high seas, pirate sort of stuff. Right. But, like, it, thinking about it, it makes no sense for Elaine to fall in love with Guybrush. And that sort of stays throughout the series, but, like... Well... Yeah. Going and on, on that same note, it really makes no chance. It makes no sense for LeChuck to go after Guybrush in the first place, because Guybrush gets to gets to Melee Island at the first of the game, and then all of a sudden y- we cut away to this cutscene of LeChuck on his ghost ship, and he's alerted to the fact that Guybrush has just arrived on Melee Island. Which okay, I get it because Guybrush is the hero and LeChuck is the villain, and you know LeChuck has got to make sure that the hero doesn't get in my way and that kind of thing. Yarr. But it, it, it like it makes no sense that LeChuck would go after Guybrush and harass him throughout the game. Oh yeah, I know. I mean, but I mean that's part of the charm too. Is that it, it's got kind of that old style uh, hero's journey kind of quality to it. It definitely like has. Oh, what am I looking for? It. I feel like it plays on a lot of the old tropes for pirates. Right. Like evil. Like it's just it's. <sighs> Again, they were trying to make a funny, just sort of entertaining game, and they just make fun of, or not make fun, but well, it's it subverts a lot of the uh, the characteristics of the genre. Mm-hmm, definitely. Where you start off, you think it's going to be a, a fantasy pirate game, and then it turns out to be like a, a comedy farce, making fun of fantasy pirate stuff. Mm-hmm. Also, the armed door on the cannibal hut. I oh get my a goodness! Out of that every yes. time. So, like, do you want to explain the, the context of that joke? Uh, sure. You go to a cannibal village, and you have to steal bananas to get the monkey to follow you. It makes total sense, I know. But uh, <laughs> basically, the cannibals catch you stealing the bananas, and then they're deciding on whether or not they're going to eat you. So they throw you into a hut and lock you in. Right. And outside the hut, they have, like, spears propped up against the door so you can't get out. And, of course, you know, adventure games, you escape. And you can come back to the village and continue to get caught and every time you get caught they take you back to the hut and the locks on the door get progressively more and more advanced mm-hmm. to the point where the last one is like an armed safe door <laughs> it's like, like it's like a futuristic science fiction door on the cannibal yeah. hut where it's like got this little bleeping armed sign on mm-hmm. it it's just so totally out of place yeah and if you look at it Guybrush says in a primitive yet effective way it's locked I, I just love doing that every time. <laughs> I love when uh, going back to the cannibal village. If you go around looking at all the huts, I love Guy Brush's response each time because basically all the idea is all the huts are empty. But each time you yeah. look at a different hut, his response get, gets more detailed. Like he starts off just by saying this hut's empty, and then it gets it kind of ramps up the more huts you look at. He's like, mm-hmm. I've never seen an emptier hut than this. Or if I looked up empty in the dictionary, it would probably have a picture of this hut. Yeah, just oh the dialogue. Oh, we're gonna keep coming back to this. I feel, but uh, yeah, dialogue the dialogue and the and so all good. the little jokes. Um, one of the things I noticed, kind of going back to Guybrush's character and how it develops through the game, he he's very polite and naive when you first get to Melee Island, and I noticed that once you get to Monkey Island, like on the in the third act of the game, that his responses to everything become a lot more terse and sort of sarcastic. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if this was, if this was just the writing, if that's sort of, like how how Tim Schafer and Dave Grossman were, were you know feeling about the game, you know, as it got closer to the end. Right. It, it's just like Guybrush gets a lot more sarcastic about. So, like, for instance, like on Melee Island, if you try to do stuff that doesn't make any sense, he's like, I don't think that'll work, 
or I don't know about that. And then when you get to Monkey Island, like if, there's one screen where the sun is an interactive object on the screen. And uh. if you click on walk to the sun, Guybrush will just turn to you and be like, oh, sure, walk to the sun. And yeah. Then, and then when you get to the when you get to the giant monkey head, uh, there's a part where if you try to pick up some of the larger idols that are sitting around the monkey head, he'll be like, "I have no idea why you want me to pick this up and lug it around this island." <laughs> it's just he he gets so he gets so like put out by the end of the game. Yeah, he does. It's, oh my goodness! And then of course there's the wedding scene with the "I can't believe your audacity." Yes, I al that. I always choose that when when you confront LeChuck at the end of the wedding. There's this one particular conversation option. It starts off where LeChuck says to you, I can't believe your audacity. And then the idea is that Guybrush responds with, oh yeah, well, I can't believe your... And then you've got this whole list of uh, words you can choose that end with itty so that it rhymes with audacity. It's like, well, I can't, believe, I can't believe your frivolity. I can't believe your mobility. And it keeps going back and forth like that. They just <laughs> I grow tired of you. So many little things like that that just, that just really bring this game alive. Yeah, ah, just it's so so much fun. Like you can right. go back to Monkey. Like it's one of those games you can come back to, and every time you'll just s still smile and laugh because there's just well, so much in there. Even now, like I we've had this game for like what like twelve years now. I, I was, yeah. Go there's still parts of conversations that I'd never heard before. I tried to go out of my way to choose options that I've never chosen in conversation trees when I played uh -huh. it through this time. And there, there are still little funny lines that I'd never heard before, even though I've played this game so many times. It's just there, there's a, so much in this game that you can find and mm. sort of discover. So yeah. since, we, since we've been raving about how great this game is for the last 20 minutes, uh, is there anything that stuck out to you, Phil, that you felt like was could have been improved, that you thought was sort of a flaw in, in the design? I mean, granted, this was they were revolutionizing the way adventure games were being made with this. So obviously the design was not going to be a hundred percent perfect. No, no, it, it was definitely, uh, so did anything, oh, did pioneering. anything jump out at you that you thought, Oh, that could have, could have been fixed. I thought, uh, there were a lot of maybe useless items and places like mm. normally, uh, invent in adventure games, sort of, this is the, rule of thumb. If something's interactive, you know it's going to be used in, like, a puzzle or something. Like, right. anything interactive, you know, ha has to uh, have meaning later on. Right. Um, there's just a lot of inventory items, like, when again, when you get the leaflet, you're also given, like, two other brochures and pamphlets right, that, that are just, just throwaway, that don't have any yeah. purpose. It's really then, just like, to disguise the leaflet so that you don't think it's important. Mm -hmm. And then, like, oh, when you're on Monkey Island and you pick up a note, there's a rock on top of it, and he just picks up the rock, and it's in your inventory as noteworthy rock. Oh, yeah. And you don't do anything with it. That's just, right. I always forget like, that that rock is in my inventory, because you're right, there's no there's no purpose for it. Yeah, it's... it's uh, I mean, later adventure games, they uh, streamline it more, so there are very few things that you don't need to worry about, mm -hmm. I guess, is what I'm trying to say, but... Well... Yeah, just... There's so much in Monkey Island, but that that's part of its charm, but I also think it makes it difficult to get through. Well, I don't know. I kind of disagree with you there. I think that it's good for adventure games to put in red herring stuff so that it's not painfully obvious what you're supposed to do. Because if, mm. if all you have, if, if the only interactive things on the screen are what you need to 
solve the puzzle or whatever, then that takes away part of the challenge. Yeah. I don't know, I guess I've been spoiled by modern adventures. Yeah, I mean, modern adventure games don't do that as much. It's sort of like like you said, that if it's not interactive, then you don't need to worry about it. But if it's interactive, mm-hmm. then you know it's important to solving the puzzle. Yeah, I do I do want to touch later about uh, modern adventure games. Like, this had a really refreshing feel to me, sort of, mm-hmm. in that it was really difficult. Like, I had not played an adventure game in a while that really just kind of stump me for a while mm, yeah yeah this is th- this is kind of a pet peeve of mine i feel like and this might just be you know um, maybe i'm old-fashioned mm-hmm. but I, I feel like games today are too easy oh yeah i think we've had this conversation so many times yeah and um I, but like if you look at walking dead for example you click on things and like you don't have the entire verb menu like you just click on it and it interacts in the way that they think you should use it. Well, that's kind of that's kind of been the philosophy with adventure games in recent times anyway. They, they like they've mm-hmm. taken away all the verb options and then you just click and then it it decides what you should do with it. Yeah, and then there's also the uh hint systems like <laughs> <sighs> Well, yeah. I don't know. I I feel like including a hint system. So basically with with recent adventure games because in olden times, it was so easy to get stuck on these to the point where you mm-hmm. had no idea what you're supposed to do next. What you had to do with games like Monkey Island, for instance, was you either had to call up Lucasfilm Games and order the hint book for the game, or you had to call their helpline and they would help you get through the game if you, had, if you were stuck at a certain point. But nowadays, it's more common for the games to just include a built-in hint system. So, in fact, I think that I think the special edition of Monkey Island has this. So that if you get stuck, you can just push a button, and the game will like sort of nudge you in the right direction on what you're supposed to do next. Yeah, I feel I like that. that is fine. But it, when the when the hint when the hint system is sort of forced upon you, so that if you if it goes for too long when you're not doing anything, then the game will like prompt you without you asking for it to say, "Oh, you need to go do this." That kind of mm-hmm. frustrates me. Because yeah. it just assumes that you don't know what you're doing. Right. Anyway, what did you think about flaws? Sorry, that kind of got off on a tangent. <laughs> yeah. What did you think about flaws in Monkey Island? My only gripe with this today, and this has sort of been my my feeling about the game for a while, there's just way too much walking around. <laughs> there's, yeah, there, there's too much backtracking. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't think this took away from how enjoyable the game was. But, I mean, if I had to gripe about something, it'd be the amount of walking around you have to do. So, for Did instance, you find it? Okay. on Melee Island, the uh, the order of the screens that you can walk, it's basically a tunnel. So when you go to the town, there's, like, you go to the cliff screen, then you walk down the path, and you walk across the dock, and then you walk through the town square, and then you walk through the back alley, and then you walk to the governor's mansion. That's basically the layout of the town. So if you want to leave from the governor's mansion, you have to walk back through the alley, back through the town square, back across the docks, back up the the path to the cliff, and then you get to the map screen. So that that part of it is frustrating because there's just a ton of walking back and forth. Mm-hmm. And on Monkey Island, when you get to Monkey Island in the third act of the game, the amount of well, well so like when you get the rowboat, for instance, if you want to go to the Cannibal Village, you have to get in the rowboat, you have to go all the way around the island. And then it, mm-hmm. it's like you have to click on a certain part of the screen to get Guybrush to like zoom off to the next. Yeah, screen. I was gonna ask if you found that. Yeah, that really. It's really mm-hmm. if you just click out in space, Guybrush will row so slowly. But yeah, if you click on the edge of the screen, he'll like zoom off to the next 
uh, screen. But even even mm. that, it, it's still kind of frustrating how much backtracking. And I think mm. maybe I think maybe the designers realized this because towards the end, once you get the root out of LeChuck's ship, I liked how instead of having you walk all the way out of the catacombs, out of the out of the monkey head place, back down the path, yeah, into the rowboat. Right. It, it was just like it just showed you some text on the screen that said after a, a long walk, a short. Uh, boat ride and a, and a short hike later so that it mm -hmm. just skipped you straight back to the cannibal village. Yeah, I definitely like that. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> oh, man. Yeah, so that, that'd be my only complaint about it and I, I, can't, I know I can't really fault it because this, this is a pretty old game but I mean yeah, that's that's pretty much the only my only uh, thing that I, I would have had them do differently was have some shortcuts. Yeah, definitely. Uh streamline that a bit more but yeah i mean overall there isn't that much you can complain about monkey Island. really Just there isn't it, it, it's really fantastic even the stuff we talked about where it sort of has that kind of old school like older adventure game quality to it where it's not as fashioned like modern adventure games it's still i don't think that takes away from how enjoyable it is yeah yeah i definitely agree with you there so how are we gonna rate this? Like, are we <laughs> do we have to do a rating system? I I feel like we should. Like, just kind of you know. Oh, let's say. I don't know. Zero to ten. <laughs> let's let's do zero to a hundred just to make the ratings really oh, random. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. How would you rate this? I one? would rate this at a solid ninety-two. I just 92. picked that number totally out of nowhere. Okay. Um. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I'd say it's a 95. 95? Like, it is definitely one of my favorite adventure games. Definitely. But there are some things that keep it from being my favorite. Hmm. Not, not bad things, just, you know, outdated things that, hmm. It's really hard for, it would be hard for someone who doesn't already like the series to come in and get used to. That's a good point. So if you were to talk to somebody who'd never played Monkey Island before, which game would you have them start with? Would you have them start oh, with the special gosh, would you have them start with a special edition of Monkey Island one with updated high definition graphics or would you start them on a different game? I would definitely not start with them with Secret. Secret is But see see hold. now you've got the hint system built in to the to yeah, the updated version. Yeah, so if you get true. stuck, it's not like they're gonna throw the game away and be ah this was too hard. Yeah, but here's the thing. Secret I hold is one of the harder Monkey Islands. Mm. Um, I would say, if I had to start someone off on Monkey Island, I would definitely say 2 or Curse. Probably Curse, because uh, we're going to get to this later. <laughs> I don't want to say too much. But, it, ah, it is such a good game. Yeah. Like, it is so good. I know, yeah. I don't know. But, I, yeah, feel, I just, feel like we're going to have we're gonna have pitchforks and torches outside our houses if we say that Curse of Monkey Island is better than Secret of Monkey Island. Well, we, we'll get we'll get to this on that. We'll episode, get to we'll get to this. We'll get to this. Yeah, let, let's 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 hold let's hold the shots for now. No shots fired, fired on this episode. No shots fired on this episode. All right. So, yeah. So so you would have them start with Curse of Monkey Island. I would say definitely either the second one or Curse, and then go back to the first one to kind of see how it started. But yeah, I would say that was our that was age, our experience. We started with Curse of Monkey Island just because we didn't know. I, I just we had, Day of the Tentacle was the only uh, LucasArts game we had played up to that point and I was like oh I, I love this I want to play more games like this and I just picked Curse of Monkey Island out of just 
going down the list. I, oh, this looks cool. I'll, I'll get this. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah. Curse of Monkey Island, I feel, is much more user-friendly well, and just kind of immersive. Whereas Secret of Monkey Island, again, suffers from being pioneering in the field. Yeah. Well, and also Curse, you don't really need to know what happened in the first two games to pick it up. Oh, no. It just throws you right in the middle, and it doesn't require you to know a lot of backstory. Yeah. And again, we'll be talking about like Curse later in the yeah, podcast, yeah. but uh, the discrepancy between the ending of 2 and the beginning of Curse... <laughs> yeah, yeah let's, let's get to that on a, yeah, another episode. It, it, all I was going to say is it definitely makes it possible to play Curse and not miss that much. Mm. Right, yeah. And you can always go back to Secret. This, I mean, is, this is a preview of upcoming episodes on 3Pcast. Stay <laughs> tuned for, for more uh, ramblings on the Monkey oh, Island series. Can you imagine how long that episode's going to be? Just For Curse? talking about how much we love Curse of Monkey Island. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I definitely feel like we're going to get torches and pitchforks now. Because we just spent the last oh, uh, hour sort of being like, oh yeah, well Monkey Island 1 was pioneering, and it's got it's got some issues, but it's still pretty good. And then all like, right, Curse of Monkey Island. We're already so Oh, Curse of Monkey Island's so good. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, well, well if, you, if you have <laughs> opinions on this... And you want to flame us? Please, please email us. Yes, yeah, so that's we want a, that, to hear from you. Yes, yeah, so that, that's yet another good segue. Um, we we do want to do feedback on this podcast. So if you uh, have played the game that we will be reviewing in the next episode, uh, please uh, send us some feedback, either uh, written verbal feedback or through MP3 files, to podcast at ridgewayfilms.com. Mm-hmm. And that is Ridgeway with no E. So R-I-D-G-W-A-Y films.com. Yep. And next... What is we, the game we're going to be that's, that's We should decide. So Monkey Island 2, I think, would be the most logical thing to do next since we're already on a Monkey Island mm. kick. Um, but Loom has also been discussed because Loom, well, Loom was the game that came out right before Secret of Monkey Island. And yeah, and I mean the guy in the scum bar you can talk to that <laughs> asked me about all, Loom. Ask me about Loom. He <laughs> his sales pitch was really good. I, I know, I, I know. Um, I feel like we should go to Loom. Well, see, the other thing is that Loom is Anton's favorite game. Anton is our our brother who has been supervising this whole podcast, and not saying anything. He's just been kind of sitting in the background playing his. He's been walking you, just letting you know. Yeah, he, yeah. I can I can see him. I I can see him on the camera. Okay. So yeah, if we if we do Loom next, we can get Anton involved because Loom is like Anton's favorite LucasArts game. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like we should give it some time between uh, Secret of Monkey Island and Monkey Island Two. Really, you want to do Loom next? I I feel like there is like you know a time gap between the two. I feel like we could do Loom and it'd still be topical. Hmm. And maybe. Well, my vote would be for Monkey Island Two because I really want to get to Monkey Island Two. You really want to do Monkey Island 2 that bad? Yeah, I was kind of hoping we could go in order, like starting with Monkey Island 1 going. But I mean, we can do Loom next if you want. But that means we're going to have to get to Escape of Monkey Island, and no. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're not in any huge hurry. Let's do Loom next. Okay. So, episode 2 of 3Pcast will be covering Loom, another LucasArts classic. Um, if you have played Loom or you have fond memories of Loom, please send us your feedback at podcast at ridgewayfilms.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we've uh, talked about this, but sort of our philosophy, or not philosophy, but procedure we've decided on doing for this podcast is we would decide the game and then give ourselves a week before we record to play through it. Are we saying and one week? Not, uh, that's, I thought that was the idea. If it, if it becomes... Uh, 
more difficult. We can give ourselves like two weeks, maybe. Yeah, but we'll like, we'll announce our, it on on each podcast how long it'll be till the next episode. Yeah, we're, we'll we'll try to keep to a pretty regular schedule of episodes, so that you know. You, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I read a lot of articles on how to do a good podcast, and everyone was like, "Keep on, keep to a regular schedule." Yeah, so we'll try to do that. Um, also, we are trying. To, we've decided we are going to go as far as we can, not using any walkthroughs. Just yes, playing it. That's the other thing. Uh, we're the challenge for each episode is we're going to try to get through each game without resorting to hints or a walkthrough. And that mm-hmm. might be more difficult the more we get into games we're less familiar with. <laughs> Jake. What? Nothing. Nothing. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, like I said, I got stuck a couple of times on Monkey Island, but I was still able to power through this without mm-hmm. too much trouble. But yeah, when we, yeah get to, when we get to the ones we're less familiar with, that might be a more difficult challenge to... Uh, to play without using a walkthrough, but that'll be, that'll be the goal we'll strive for, and then we might buckle along the way if we run out of time or if we just throw up our hands in frustration. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you are listening and you want to join the fun and you have access to these games, feel free to play along with us. Yeah, yeah. that'd be fun. Please, please do. Well, yeah, that that was part of the reason why I wanted to have a little thing on each episode about how to acquire the game, so mm-hmm. that if people do want to play along. Do we want to go ahead and talk about that for Loom, since that's next next time's episode? Uh, tell people sure. yeah, how to get let's, it. Let's, let's let's talk about Loom. So a little. So Loom. Um, well, we we don't really need to get into the history. I'll just give you guys a no, quick. Yeah, talk about how you get a hold. How of you it. get a hold of it? Well, actually, this is uh, rather fortunate because Loom is actually an older game. I, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up just to make sure I'm not pulling stuff Leading out of nowhere. Yeah, so Loom is currently available on Steam, believe it or not. You can really? ac- you can get it for $5. And not only that, it is the uh, super awesome at one point in time this version of the game was really rare and really hard to acquire. This was the 256 color talkie version with full voices. Um, really? Yeah. I have not played this. Yeah. Well, see, the version we grew up with was the 16 color version that had no mm-hmm. that had no uh, voices. This is the 256 color version that's got voices and a full orchestrated soundtrack. Oh my! It, it's re- it really is the ultimate version of Loom, and it is available on Steam for five dollars. All right. Well, you so, heard him. And I would I would encourage it. you to if you're if you're listening along to play this because Loom is a pretty short and easy game. So. Yeah, that's that's right. that's Loom. So, I guess I guess Ooh. that's now set in stone. Next episode we're doing is Loom. Yeah, there you go. All right. Um, do you want to talk about contact info? Like, well, I already I've already, I think I've said podcast at ridgewayfilms dot com. Like, five yeah, or but six. like if they want to get a hold of us individually, like, <sighs> um, I don't know. Right now, best way to do that would be through the Ridgeway Films Facebook group. I'm gonna try to start up a a, a group specific to this podcast, depending on how much. How much of a response we get and how interested people are in this. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Facebook group for, for Ridgeway Films. Or RidgewayFilms.com. I think it lists a bunch of ways you can contact us. Yeah. And also there's uh, the Twitter uh, for Ridgeway Films. And I have my own Twitter, Dr. Underscore Dr. Flip. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Dr. Flip. Yeah, it's not hard to contact us. Mm-hmm. If yeah. You, if you have... If you want to harass us about the fact that we're doing a podcast and not working on Earthbound, uh, please feel free. Please feel free to not contact us. Thank you. 
I'll, I'll sift through all the hate mail. I'll, I'll take I'll take the bullet. <laughs> I'll, I'll forward all the hate mail about us not working on Earthbound to you, Phil, and you can. Okay. We should I'm have. Going to... Okay. So if we do, I mean, I'm not encouraging you guys to do this, but if we do start getting mail about why aren't you guys working on Earthbound, we should read it on the podcast. Oh, definitely, definitely. Have, okay. Have anyway, Earthbound hate mail reading segment of the show. Yeah, I think this has dragged on for <laughs> a little too long. Yeah, yeah, we've been going for about an hour. I feel like it's yeah. a good good length. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. Um, episode one of three. Episode one done. in the can. We did it. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, yeah, so we will we will see you guys next time with Loom. Thank you for listening. Um, bye. Oh, please send us your feedback. I don't think I said that yeah. enough times. <laughs> send feedback and you know let us know how we did. All right. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Keep adventuring. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You got you got to, yeah. had to end it with that. Well, I feel like we need a catchphrase. <laughs> okay. This episode of Threepcast featured the music Voodoo Roots and Grog by Diggy Dis featuring Alex Jones, which can be downloaded from OC Remix. That's all. Turn off your iPod and go to sleep. <laughs>